Hi, I am Lebo Lion, and this is the Disruptors series, powered by the Lessons with Lion podcast. Disruptors is an interview podcast series that gives you a glimpse into the perspectives of the exceptional African disruptors who have achieved extraordinary feats in their industries. On this podcast, you will get to know the Afri-millennials behind the disruption. Tune in to our candid conversations by listening to the Lessons with Lion podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Today's guest is Sylvester Chauke, the founder and chief architect at DNA Brand Architects, a marketing and brand consultancy, author of Stand Against Bland and multi-award winning marketer and entrepreneur who was selected as one of five young people to represent Africa at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Not only is Sylvester changing the landscape for African marketers, Sylvester also courageously pioneers how international brands perceive and work with African talent. I love art, I love dance, I love music, and I love everything African and excellent. My name is Sylvester Chauke. I'm the founder and chief um, at DNA Brand Architects, which is a marketing and brand consultancy, working with some of the most exciting young black marketers and creatives. And growing up in Soweto, I grew up in a colorful environment, multicultural, multilingual. I describe myself quite simply as a, a bridge between what brands wants to create and what consumers would like to appreciate and see. We undermine marketing and yet we consume it extremely. Marketing found me, actually. Okay. So I then decided to uh, jump into a taxi and go to Senton and I had my CV, three-page CV and my little portfolio inside a pizza box. What is important is showcasing who you are. I'm still becoming Sylvester in a big way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today I am so excited guys you don't even understand I am so excited about my next guest I know it's been a minute since I've had guests because of COVID and lockdown and business but today I made time and he made time for me and you know how we do on the show we don't introduce the guests they introduce themselves but I'll give you a clue about who this guest is he wrote a book and the book is called Stand Against Bland if you don't know who I'm talking about and you say you're a marketer in South Africa, then I don't know where you've been. But let's let him introduce himself. Yay! <laughs> that was such a lovely way to start. My name is Sylvester Chauke. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the founder and chief um, at DNA Brand Architects, which is a marketing and brand consultancy. We have offices in Johannesburg and in Cape Town, um, working with some of the most exciting young black marketers and creatives. Uh, we are a black-owned and black-run agency. Um, and of course, um, three years in a row, have delivered South Africa's best PR campaign um, consistently. So I love creativity. I think creativity is the energy and um, the vibe that really can make a lot of contribution to the world in terms of how we see things, how we engage with people, um, and how we make a world a much more um, exciting um, and fulfilling space. I love art, I love dance, I love music, and I love everything African and excellent. I love that. Guys, I have to tell you, so uh, Sylvester's introducing himself, and before we started recording this podcast, he was telling me about how he's not having such a great day because of a meeting he had, and literally, through the entire conversation and through his intro, he's smiling. <laughs> like, he's smiling with the positive energy in my heart, that's what I call him, because Sylvester's always radiating on a positive level. Mm. Tell us about that. How do you stay so positive in such a challenging industry? 
I have to say that it's a lot to do with the fact that I'm generally incredibly grateful. I am very thrilled by what I'm doing, who I am, how I do things. So I'm actually pretty stoked already, you know. So I'm grateful for just being where I am and doing what I do and in the way that I, I do it. And so every day I wake up in the morning and in fact, my other half always laughs at me because I wake up in the morning, I'm like, hey, good morning. I'm ready for another day. Morning person. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I guess it depends also on what's up, you yeah. know. But generally, I think it's 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 that energy. I really do believe that it it, it adds so much more to my life, just appreciating what I what I am and who I am. I love that. I think the spirit of gratitude is often undermined and misunderstood. You know, people think mm. that being grateful is just being positive about everything. Mm. But what is it? Mm. What is gratitude? I think for me is when you close your eyes and, and, and when I close my eyes, and sometimes specifically normally on a Sunday, I would always pick up a picture of, of me when I was, when I'm a little boy or I'm a teenager and I, I look at myself and I, I think, geez, you know, all those little dreams and hopes and frustrations and anger and doubt and worry. But how, if I fast forward now, I just think there's a lot that has happened. A lot of good has happened. So you can't help but be very grateful for that because mm-hmm. there's been a, a very clear transition and change. Yeah. And one has to be able to look back and be grateful for the good that has happened. I didn't get that. And all Could you try again? the lessons, um, you know, the lessons that have um, impacted me. So the consistent approach to look back always makes me feel that I can achieve anything because of um, just where I come from. Talking about looking back. I was reading your book, Stand Against Bland. It's a really great book, by the way. So oh, I, I love reading. I don't lie about what I think about books. If I don't like it, I'll just keep quiet. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a great book. And it's in the beginning of the book, page 30. And it's a chapter called Self-Acceptance. Mm. So I'm just going to read a bit of it. And then we're going to talk about that. He says, I constantly had this feeling of being different. And we go down a little bit. And you say... I began to focus on finding myself, finding my way, and building a life that makes sense to me. I have worked to get to a place where I can express myself honestly. I like to think that today I've fashioned a lifestyle where I no longer have to pretend. I fit in. I have embraced the awkward feeling, that awkward kid being sniggered at in the corridors of it at school, the boy who was disrespected on the street by the gents on the corner, that boy has found a place where he fits in and he's loved for exactly who he is. No, let me correct that. I haven't found a place where I fit in. I've created a place where I fit in. I've built a home for myself. You know, this really resonated with me because I feel like as somebody who doesn't necessarily go with convention, you know, mm. she does her own thing, I'm a bit of a lone ranger. I've always also felt awkward and I've always questioned my ideas and what I want to do and I always feel like maybe this isn't good enough because it's not what everybody else is doing. Mm. How did you find that in yourself? How did you find that self-acceptance? How did you find that no matter what I do, it's good enough for me? How did you find that in yourself? How did you build the home? I think, you know, and and you'd understand this full well because um, when you are awkward, you know, you, you, you almost are hypercritical of yourself so you and I think in the book I do mention that most of the time I will look at myself it's almost like I'm outside of my own body Mm. you know viewing how awkward I am and I wish that I wasn't that awkward so for many many years I wasn't there yet you know I, I was still not quite sure of myself I was still concerned about you know what the other guys on the corner think of me or what my colleagues at school think of me or, um, you know, how I express myself and maybe I'm a little bit too feminine, but maybe, maybe you know. Yeah. So it was always a tug of war to just to reconcile with who I am and who I think I am and who I am perceived to be or who I think I need to become. So I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's a process, you know. I think you do get to a point where you realize that the truth of the matter is that it is about you, you know, not necessarily about what everyone else thinks. Mm. So if you are comfortable with it, you sleep better. And then also, even if it's good or even if it's bad, because it is a experience that you 
willingly went into it or that you've ch- you know selected you feel much more i want to say at ease but you feel much more happy with with even when things don't go right but because you made the decision mm. it's still your you, you know your fault or your 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 lesson yeah. so i think only really at university when i i really was i started now to edit because then you have to make choices who do you hang out with where do you go it's no longer like at high school where you just do you know what everyone else is doing um it became a lot more apparent that i was different and i think i started appreciating that more when i also found spaces that i was much more myself in and where i was a lot more happier in i started being more aware of that and that helped me to know ah that's you Oh, that's not. Yeah. Um and then I know what's more me and 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 what what is more me. And that's something that's something that has been a um a good contributor to me being so comfortable now with walking into a place and not feel like I need to be anything else other than who I am. I love that. And you go into that in detail further in your book, but we're going to go into that just now. Yeah. I just want us to kind of summarize your childhood who you were and how you became Sylvester hmm. can you do that for us i'm still becoming sylvester in a big way but i think um my my childhood is a typical black family childhood you know growing up in soweto being around from middlelands orlando east dobsonville ended up in protea north um with the family my mom and dad just always wanted to give the best they can um they woke up very early in the morning to go to work and to educate us and so it, it was quite important very clear that um and i knew from when i was very young that i needed to grow into something or grow into being something because of the indelible support and um an effort that was coming from my parents side and i must say that what was quite helpful for me ha- you know was the fact that When I was even much younger as a toddler I just do remember being loved you know I remember that I was a favorite somehow you know and I I felt appreciated I think that really at at a very early stage I I remember feeling like I was a little bit special mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand exactly you know the you know why but I knew that um my family just appreciated me but we you know we we grew up hustling men and struggling to just push forward you know as a family and that's something that became a really big part of who i am in terms of the understanding of what i need to put in um how i need to show up be present push forward move along and something as simple as you know when you move around as a as a black family you learn to adjust quickly you learn how to you know not be stuck in your old friends in Orlando East because now you are not you know you are now in Midlands and mm. that's just what it is you know mm. we start we start afresh and growing up in Soweto I grew up in a colorful environment multicultural multilingual experiences culture wise so you you grow up exposed to quite a lot of diverse people and thinking and and activities um, and I think that also had a lot to do with my approach and my colorfulness because i appreciate so many different things because of the environment where i grew up in and i grew up in a time where going to school and then going to a dance club for like rehearsals and stuff until late afternoon was the norm you know it was the time when serafina was what we you know was out and everybody was doing the you know dance classes to 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 mimic the dance moves and stuff like that so i appreciated that lifestyle and appreciated the fact that that moment allowed for me to, to to kind of feel like i i fit in within that environment i love what you said and it makes me think of how you were talking about your dance classes and your castings in your book mm. on twitter i always talk to people about having hobbies mm. and, you know forever like i feel like a hobby is a thing that you should always have even if you change them you should always have them mm. do you find that it's valuable to have hobbies what have they done for you in your career you know i actually have a lot to say about this because it's something that we underestimate a lot you know we think i have a career and that's all i you know that that's all i'm plowing myself in but we are so multifaceted and i think one of the things that we we let ourselves not experience or express is the potential talent and creativity we have because we never really open a door to try it out so i've always also believe that if you can particularly if you are young if you want to go and play piano try it don't say i don't like it because just just try it play an instrument 
cook, do things that are outside of just your usual sort of program because that allow you to express yourself in different ways and ways that you wouldn't have. And I find that many people, they almost stop experiences happening to them because they don't like it. So they don't go to the theater because ah, it looks like it's boring. But have you been? No, you know, and maybe you go and it inspires you and it changes your, your, your mindset. And I think I might have mentioned in, in the book as well, exposure to, yes. to, 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 to things is something that is vital. And I think for me, it, it, it was something as simple as, I remember going to a mall for the first time. You just think, you know, you get exposed to the mall and then you go to, I went to the ice rink in Randburg for the first time and I thought, geez, that's like, you know, wow, as a young black kid from Soweto, that's quite interesting, you know. And it then opens up new doors and avenues that you wouldn't have otherwise um, gone to. So hobbies are not a nice to have. I think they are very important to making you feel uh, like you're expressing yourself as much as possible. This is going to sound like a peculiar question, but can you tell the difference between employees who have hobbies and mm. those who don't? I can absolutely tell employees who have hobbies and who don't. Um, and it's it's very simple. People with hobbies have got an expression. So they, they bring elements of those hobbies to the work that they do. For example, here at the office, we have a lot of people that are interested in fashion, in gym, in art, in music, etc. And in the work that we do, we see those hobbies, they infiltrate into the work. So, um, you know, Ati, for example, at the office, because she's, she's into fashion, you find that Every single idea or every single approach has a fashion lens to it or has a fashion um, I, um, uh, angle. And that means that her passion is coming across in the work. Mm-hmm. And then she, when she does it, it's even more amplified. People with hobbies are happier, they're more engaged, and they have a much broader life um, outside of the office. And you can see it in, in the way they express themselves. And you can, see, you can even see it on, on, on Instagram. You can even see it on Instagram. <laughs> I love that. We'll talk about Instagram as a hiring tool maybe later <laughs> yes, in, yes, in yes. this podcast. <laughs> but I just want to go into marketing. Mm. How would you describe yourself, yourself as a marketer? Mm. I would describe myself quite simply as a, a bridge between what brands wants to create and mm. what consumers would like to appreciate and see yeah. and engage. And I think that's in, in its simplest form for me because my job is to always ensure that I can connect what my customers are potentially looking for with what I have to offer them. And for all, for all our clients and, 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 and programs, that's essentially what we want to do. It'll come through as marketing, but as branding, you know, all kind of intertwined to deliver an experience that will woe customers and, 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 and consumers to me. Why, why do you think people undermine marketing so much? And what should they be thinking of when they think of marketing? Why is it so valuable? Hmm. It's actually quite interesting because we undermine marketing and yet we consume it extremely. You know, if you open your fridge, what you bought, the margarine that you bought, the rice that you bought, why is it testic and not speco, you know? Um, There's so many things that we, because we don't think about it, because marketing is incredibly uh, smart, and it can be intuitive, you know. We don't see it as marketing, but yet everything we do is, is, is around that. You open your fridge, you open your cabinets, you see what you wear, products that you use, where you go, music that you listen to, magazines that you read, books that you read. All of that, at some level, had a, a marketing eye. There was someone that said, you know, not necessarily obviously, yeah. but... <laughs> Someone, there is a, so we, we definitely don't appreciate it because it's, you know, you can't necessarily touch it, right? Mm. But we see it. Mm. And I have always, you know, of the opinion, it's like electricity. It's almost like you take it away, you realize it, you know, when it's not there, than what it is. And marketing, it's, it's, it's very similar. When it's working, you may take it for granted, but when it's not there, you can definitely see that there was no good hand there. And I think the the truth of the matter is, in fact, I was on a radio station yesterday and we were talking about brands, how calling Blake Label, people thought that it was a South African brand, but it was actually Canadian originated brand, Vlisco from the Netherlands. Kenta Print, literally in Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, is actually from the Netherlands. It's not even wow. a African print, even As though in the actual the, the, the African print. 
the fabric. The print, the fabric, the, fabric, the whole thing. The whole thing. Whoa. We don't, it's, it's definitely not from us. And in fact, a few weeks ago, um, you know, the top 100 brands uh, in Africa survey also had highlighted the fact that many Africans, sometimes they get confused. They think Coca-Cola is African. They think mm. all um, Converse is African because we see it in our communities. But it's all marketing, isn't it? Yeah. It's all marketing. It is made... Uh, to make you feel like it's part of your environment when we know that it's actually not. That's so true. I'm so heartbroken about calling black <laughs> I remember that advert with the miners. That That's the right. One? I think, you know, the, 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 the brand itself, people just, they always think things are that way because of how they've been ex, you know, expressed. So yeah. the brand itself is, mo- is most definitely Canadian-born, mm-hmm. you know. But when we see it on the continent, some some Africans believe that Nike is African really? because just for them and their community and how they see it. Mm-hmm. So we underestimate the power of communication and, and branding and marketing because when it's done right, and Americans, they know how to do that. They know yeah. how to how to make you believe that that's the best thing to have. Yeah. And, and to a point that we've almost took for granted the fact that we have been marketed to and we believe that it's actually our own decisions when it's actually popular culture. Mm. Why did you choose marketing if it's such an underrated industry? I mean, you talk about all the talents that you have. I've seen on your Instagram page, you're always tap dancing, <laughs> it's very cool to watch and you have a great sense of style which makes me feel like you could be in fashion. <laughs> there's so many things that you yes, have a yes. very strong talent for. Why did you choose marketing? Marketing found me, actually, because it was when I was going to an audition, when I was 12 years old, that I realized that there was something called advertising or that there there were people that were behind the scene creating all these ads that I was seeing on television. So I went for audition and I got selected to go take part in 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 a TV production, ad production. And... I was very fascinated by the fact that people were doing that on a daily basis to create communication, to tell people about those products and services. So that was quite fascinating for me, even then at, the, at that early age. And as I grew, I realized that it was actually advertising and it's a career prospect even. That helped me a lot because it also fit a lot of my awkwardness and the different side, you know, because I, I didn't think that I would... I would see myself really as though a teacher or particularly then, or a lawyer or a doctor, you know, those, those expected careers of yesteryear. So this felt like it was something that Sylvester could do. And I, I then went to study that and, and luckily got quite excited by it and got quite good at it. And then, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Can you please share the story of how you landed your first job? I, w- I love that. When I read your book, I was like, this is so creative. Oh my yeah. gosh, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> so, um, obviously, when you're studying advertising, part of it is to know how to connect and um, creatively solve problems. And so the problem was I needed to get an, an internship and or a junior position at an agency. And at the time that identified about 10 of the top agencies in, 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 in Johannesburg that you could have access to. So I had, I looked at one of the agencies, which was FCB, Lindsay Smithers at the time, the biggest advertising agency back then. Um, they had Vodacom and True Love magazine and Toyota. I mean, a top, top, top agency. So I really wanted to work there. And I knew that that obviously, every, I mean, all 500 of us in the class would definitely also want to be working at FCB. So how was I going to stand out? And of course, back in the day, you couldn't just write a letter and hope for the best or arrive and, you know, with your CV, that's going to be tossed at reception. So I then decided to jump into a taxi and go to Senton. And I had my CV, three-page CV and my little portfolio inside a pizza box and what seemed like a pizza delivery. Yeah. And so when I arrived at reception, I said, Hi, Luge, I'm here to deliver pizza. Uh, you know, to Wing Wing, you know, at that time, you know, the, one of the creative directors there. And they called Wing to come down and actually I handed over the, the pizza box and it was like, what is this? Opened it, it was my CV and it said inside, uh, you need a piece of the section. And that's how, that's, that's it. And, <laughs> and, I, wa- and I, I walked upstairs and yeah, I, I never left. <laughs> how did you, like, what gave you the confidence to do that? And what made you think that your idea was good enough? You know, luckily, what was clear was the fact that either way, 
if I don't do anything drastic, I will walk away with nothing, right? And but if I if I do something drastic, if it's bad, I'd walk away with nothing then, you know. So I had nothing to lose then, yeah. you know. So I think it was more I, I I've always been so scared of just dropping something off and hope someone's gonna pick it up because that just is quite unfair. <laughs> Yeah. And, it's, and and that's why even now I make sure that if I get a CV, I, I read through it and I, I respond because I, I know the anxiousness that you get to feel when you don't hear anything. And sometimes you don't hear anything because you're not engaging enough. And that's why I would say to someone now, you know, your open letter could be much more engaging. But, you know, we don't have a job here, but you, for next time, maybe do try to show your creativity or try to do this or try to do that. Because I think that is something that as a young man, scared of rejection, you know, you... you you have to try to do things that you hope that you know will connect more. And I'm I'm glad I did that. And I must say, I have to say that sometimes when I look at it now, it just seems that much more uh, spot on. But I think when I was in it, I I just felt it was it felt like the right thing to do, and I I didn't overthink it like this. It wasn't like oh my god, I'm going to get this job. I I just thought this could could potentially get someone interested and, and it did so you were driven by the possibility i was driven i think you know when you grow up uh, you know as a young black kid in soweto or wherever you are possibility is the thing that keeps you going because mm-hmm. half the time we look back and we just go oh geez I, we don't want that you know so you want something better so a possibility was definitely the big driver i love that so we're living in a digital age we have social media and arguably employees or prospective employees have access to their prospective employers, more access than they ever had. Mm. How can young black people specifically use those tools to secure either their dream job or to get the attention of their prospective employer? Mm. I think there's a lot that you can do. Um, And in fact, you know, sometimes it sounds very odd to say there's a lot that you can do to try as if you're trying as if your social media is is all there to try to get you a job but i think what is important is showcasing who you are and i think for me i mean and i will just speak specifically to if there's a candidate that we like i will definitely look at their profiles i'll look at linkedin look at facebook i just want to have a sense of this person and through social media we are able to have a sense of your vibe, at least the persona that you're putting out to the world. So I look at, is she cool? Is she stylish? Is she, is she, is she about nature? Is she about creativity? And I've, sometimes I've found that if you say you are about creativity, yet how else do you express it yes. if you're not expressing it on your social platforms or, or areas? And I find that quite interesting because it gives you a sense of, if you say, I love sport, then I, I see a lot of sports sort of cues with, you know, with, within your platform, then it's generally quite true. So social media is not to be underestimated as a, as a place that gives a sense of who you are. And of course, it's not going to give a sense of your 100% self, you know, but it is going to give prospective employers the kind of person that you are. And I like to have a sense of a realism that happen, you know, within that social space as well. Because, yeah. you know, you do have a lot of people that have also got very highly curated um, social media pages, you know, mm-hmm. particularly on Instagram, <laughs> where you it's almost it's just, a, you know, you, you know it, it, it gets to a point where you, you can't even see this person because they are... So there's a veneer, yes, yeah. there's a, a strong veneer of, and, and you can see that example, I, I mean, I know that there's a lot of, I'm a creative director, I'm a marketing consultant, I'm a mm. overselling, and then you can see that, no, it's not quite, you know, quite right. So it's important to be very cognizant of your, you know, your presence on social media. I think young people who listen to this podcast want to be in the marketing or advertising industries. Mm. And a lot of them, when they contact me, they'll say that it's really hard. It's really Mm. hard to get into this industry. We don't know who to talk to. When we get into corporate, nobody wants to listen to us. I just want to talk about that mindset for two seconds. Mm. What do you think of that mindset? How should they be looking at this industry and its challenges? Mm. I think, if I'm fair, most industries in our country right now on the continent really have a, a number of barriers. You know, um, the, in the engineering sector, for example, there'll be lots of challenges about females or females who are not butch, who want to work in a mine, you know, and who want to still, you know, rock their weave and look good. So there's still a lot of 
access issues or expectation issues and, and that. So it's important, I'm just saying broadly, that every industry has its challenges. The legal fraternity have got their own challenges. The medical fraternity have got their own challenges. It's not, and you know, you don't just wake up in the morning and get into a career because you want to get into it. All of them have got barriers to entry. But I think you need to know your industry. So you need to know what is the best way to engage with it. So if you are in marketing, for an example, and I find this really strange generally. If if you are in marketing, surely you are following all the marketing podcasts and you are learning and, re- and, and tuning in all the time to learn that industry. Surely you're going to be a member and join a student body for the Marketing Association of South Africa. You're going to go to the Prisms or you're going to try to go to the Luris or you're going to you know, uh, join a lot. So, so a lot of people... In, in, in the industry, in our industry, they wait for the graduation and then they want to start the internship process, mm-hmm. right? So now they need 100 hours covered, etc. And I find that it's a little bit too late because as you are learning, as you are growing, as you are at university, pop into the agency bar, you know, go and go to attend an event. And when you're there, don't stand around, you know, just joining there. You go to the back and there's normally an agency, a marketing team, people that are working in those environments. So you want to start building your networks and your friendships and connections that can get you into an agency. And I find that if you hang around those agencies, hang around those environments, then you're, you know, you become a little bit more familiar to the industry because it's not that big. It's not that big, this industry. So you can quite quickly be able to have an understanding of the lay of the land. So I guess it's a long way of saying you, you have to understand that it's not knocking at the door, dropping the CV, and then you've got the job. We want to see a little bit more of your approach and how you get into those environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you do have a CV and that you put out, you also, uh, when you do have an interview, you want to pull up and also showcase our creativity. The difficulty of getting into the industry at a junior level are definitely there and they're challenging, but I would say that it's like that for a lot of industries. Yeah. Mm. Is, and what do you have to say about code switching? That idea of, okay, when I get into an agency or corporate, I have to start acting inverted commas white, you know, like a Caucasian person. What would you say about that? It is actually incredibly challenging because it's one of the things that um, for me inspired a lot of what we do at DNA, just the ability to get in and be comfortable and be yourself. And because that's really where uh, we spoke about hobbies also earlier, that's where if you are connected to the, to yourself in the best possible way, you know, you, you know, you, you're not going to need a line of Coke for, to get you to be creative. You're not going to need, because you know, you are there. And I always say that sometimes being able to leave your car and go up into the office and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts. And unfortunately in the industry, a lot of people you know, they know how to play the game, you know, more than them being who they truly are in those environments. Um, and I have to also say, you know, on the other hand, and of course I'm going to qualify this, is to say that every industry has got a rule book, mm-hmm. even if it's not necessarily that, you know, well articulated. But there is always a standard and expectation. If you think about it, bankers, they were always... You know, they're always having drinks at a you know, after work drinks in Santon somewhere. So if you yeah. want to hang around, if you want to know them, they're there, you know. Yeah. Um, everyone has, you know, there are codes of, of engagement in every industry. Just know them. That's very true. And I would actually apply that same thing to somebody who has a small agency and they're looking for clients. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you go where they hang? You That's know, it. Why, why do you think sending emails is enough? It's not, it's, it's not enough. Yeah, mm. it's not enough. It's well, not enough. And I also think, it, you, you know, it's a long-term game, this. You know, it's actually quite weird because it's not... Um, I'm not selling, a, a, you know, a bottle of water, but I'm actually... I'm actually selling ideas and creativity. So mm-hmm. how are they going to see that? You yes. know, how are they going to see that is only if they give you a brief and give an opportunity. But even then, you still have to be able to execute it. Mm-hmm. So it's a, so you need to, and, and I mean, if I'm more specific with DNA, the first few jobs that I, you know, that um, I got were not paying jobs because I was willing to, to, to kind of utilize my skill set, show you a little bit of, you know, of the taste, but hopefully I'm able to, to do something a little bit more 
uh, grander and bigger with more with, with, with more money later on. Because A, I needed to get a credentials for the company, not just for me as Sylvester who was working at MTV before, but for the company needed to have its own credentials too. So part of that was I was willing to give off a little bit of my experience. When you're confident about it as well, it helps to yeah. then be able to offer it because um, I get a big brand to work with and then they get good work um, and then I can be able to utilize that as a case to be able to sell to another client. Mm. So that was quite important. Um, and it's important for young agencies that are wanting to grow, but also for young um, marketers wanting to get into those spaces. You just want to get in and offer your time. Mm. There's nothing wrong with offering your your, your, your strategic services to a, a you know a shop in Sandton that yes. maybe does not have money to get an agency, but mm. that you could do something for free and learn and also utilize it as a case for yourself. Mm. If you've got the ability to do that, I would highly encourage. I love that you're saying that because I think a lot of people who want to start agencies, especially young people, tend to aim quite high. Mm-hmm. They go, I want to start an agency, I'm going to call Vodacom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to go yes, to yes, yes. I get a lot of that. <laughs> shop next door or, you know, the school in my area. And all of those are businesses that need marketing services. T- totally. I think building a career, building a, a business is about building, you know, small pieces of a puzzle to make a big piece. So it's not, don't think, you know, it, it all starts, um, you know, with a big... Um, uh, Clients, but also if you are if you are in the industry and you are truly truly connected to it, you would have done a lot of reading too. So you would know that companies like Joe Public or FCB or Ogilvy, I mean, they're not you know, they've been around. And if you read um, the history, you get to appreciate that it's tough, you know, and not everybody is looking exactly like how they look today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at some point, you know, yes, you know, they got, they got liquidated or they lost half their business or they, you know. It, it it's it's just the you know the it's the nature of the, the nature of the beast absolutely yeah. mm. it reminds me of that uh, picture you posted on Instagram with <laughs> you and your friend as Sir Wilco I think yes yes before Aramat <laughs> people don't appreciate that before Aramat uh, phase and I think it's very important going into agency life in your career you speak a lot about. FCB mm-hmm. and then GDB and Ogilvy. Nando's and Ogilvy. So, what what's the difference between working in a big company, a big corporate, and working in an agency? Mm. The differences um, for me were very clear. In a in an agency, you can truly do ten years worth of work in three months because you are servicing and you are churning out quite a lot of work and agencies are generally incredibly rich with projects and a lot of work so if you work for a, a an advertising agency like Ogilvy um, on a weekly basis there would be a number of ads that are produced um, creative work that's launched campaigns that are being launched so when you are in an agency you are almost like in a master class of um, creative solving in action uh, because when we sit on a Friday and we're reviewing what we've achieved that week, it's incredible to see how problems have been solved. So I feel that agencies, for me, they gave me a huge sense of the breadth and the scope of what can be solved by brands and and, and across so many different industries as well. So that was quite exciting. And corporate, um, on the other hand, for me, was a lot more, not just structured better, but also you work in your silo, in your area of expertise. So if you are working as a brand um, or as a marketing manager for a particular brand, you're going to be focusing pretty much a lot of your time on that one sort of brand and looking after it um, over five years. So your experience would be great at manage, of managing it, the brand, yeah. but you wouldn't necessarily be managing 10 different brands in different c- categories, industries, etc. So I found agencies for me, that's why I loved my time there because I think it gave me, gave me many years, but over a very short period of time mm-hmm. because you are able to manage just a plethora of consumers and brands and categories and industries, you know, quite quickly. I recommend an agency experience. I actually do recommend it because you can't understand it um, from the outside. You do need to see how the machine operates and the kind of creativity that flows within an agency. And then you get to appreciate it. So when I, because I moved from, from agency to client side. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I got to client side, because I understood agencies so well, I was able to also really 
uh, get the best out of the agency because I just knew how to you know excite them to kind of create great work yeah. and both of them it depends on how you are uh, inclined but some people like to track a career over 10 years on one brand on one category and being an expert in it some people are good at working at 10 different categories over 10 years that teaches you something very different and there's no right or wrong in those and I'm grateful to have had both so what happens when, and I, I think you kind of drove this in the industry, is that the correct way to say it, but when you become the brand, so mm. you work for Nando's and mm. you do such amazing work that now Sylvester becomes Nando's, right? Mm. What mm. happens? What happens to your career? How should you navigate through that as a young black person who's still trying to build their career and do more? Mm. That's a great question, you know, because I think, and this is my opinion, mm. It's very important that as a marketing person and particularly as a black marketer in your space, in your area, that you create the work that allows to get people to notice. I think that's quite important. And for me, I was grateful because I worked in a company at the time, Nando's, that allowed me to have the creative expression and freedom to make decisions that maybe not so many marketing managers at the time could make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm grateful that I had a leadership that appreciated the thinking and that appreciated and that gave me the space to do that. And I think at the time also it was a time that allowed it. I'm not sure if it's exactly like that still. But because the work was leading, then there were questions were, but who is the marketing person? Who is the team behind that? Who, mm-hmm. who are the individuals? Then, then they'll call you up to then comment or invite you to a conference to come and talk about the campaign. And I think through that, I learned that do the work really well in your job mm-hmm. as a brand manager, as a junior brand manager, as a marketing manager or whatever. There will come a time where someone would want to know who, who, you know, who is the team behind that. And if it is good enough, it will pull you out it's not even that you do it yourself i think it's a it's almost like the industry will, will reward you because i used to sit back and think i don't know the marketing manager of kfc or steers i mean i don't know them right mm-hmm. back then no one knew them but i felt like but sylvester from nando's was you know i would walk into a place and say nando we need vouchers you know everywhere i'll go the you know because of the fact that i you know i'd been on a couple of programs on television and print and and com- commenting on the work that we're doing so the brand really built and helped to establish and build me. You know, it was quite interesting because I wasn't pushing it forward. It was the interest um, of the people in the industry around me. So I think it's important. Funny enough, I, I, I could write a, a thesis about this because I think it's important that marketers also know that as good as you are to build a brand, you also have to think about your own approach and your own brand too. Because... You, you have to have a style that is distinctly yours too so that you can be able to monetize that style. So when you work at Gucci, you bring a little bit of that at Gucci. And then when you work at uh, Pick and Pay, you bring a little bit, a little yeah. bit of that at Pick and Pay and so on and so forth. We don't spend enough time, as a, the, the, and most marketers don't. It's almost like very organic in the way they just manage brands. They know how to do that. Mm. But I also think that you also need to be able to manage um, your, your approach as well as a brand builder. I love that. Um, so are you saying to people that they should be building brands as themselves as well? And if so, how do they do that? Because you're there, you're at work, you're doing all the work, you're doing great work, your bosses love what you do. So what's more? What, what do I do? What more do I do to be noticed and to be seen? Mm. I think, you know, for me, what was quite interesting is that um, what I did do was... Um, I spent a lot of time going back to university, to my alma mater, and to, to lecture there. I used to go back and, and lecture and, and have questions and discuss with, with students. So be, besides, I was known as a marketing manager, but I would also go into a class, um, you know, at least once every two weeks, to to kind of share my knowledge and share what I know and have, a, have conversations and debates and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that really, really helped a lot. So forums and, and places like that were a good place to to share and to start utilizing your skill set to encourage and inspire others if you can. Um, that's an, an example of what I did. I also followed, um, you know, some, raise your hand. So if there, if there are opportunities for you to, to give off your time um, to a NGO, you know, for an example, I joined 
um, you know, out um, as, as, as a board member, helping them on the marketing side of things. Um, so it's not necessarily building brand as in, you know, we want to be on the front page of magazines, <laughs> but I think it's almost building um, your case studies of your approach because the more you, um, you know, practice that and the more you articulate it, the more it becomes um, a very, very um, uh, clear-cut approach. Because if you work with Sylvester, he's going to be very different to if you work with someone else because mm-hmm. the way that I approach things are not, I don't just do textbook stuff. I, I, I also do try to, to bring a little bit of what I know based on the experience that I have. How does the creative stay creative in corporate? The creative in corporate, oh, that's always a challenge, right? Because um, there are corporates that are incredibly stifling mm-hmm. of a creative person, right? But there is definitely an obvious understanding that creativity is important in every single corporate. Um, and it depends also by what we mean by creativity. For me, it's about being closer and, and never, letting your, um, never letting parts of you feel like they're being left behind. So how you dress. So I remember when I was at FCB at one point, I thought, geez, how am I going to dress now that I'm working here? So, so I decided I'm going to wear black because I can see that everyone here is wearing black. Generally, you know, the advertising look, glasses, black, and all star. Love it. Ta, you know, that, and that's the look, right? Because you fit into the groove. Um, but I think it's, it's, it is about just remembering the small things that keep the creative excited in and out of work. So at work, it could be, fun socks that you wear, how you dress, your approach, your hair, your vibe, your office, um, how it's laid out. You know, there's so many things that people don't take enough time to um, to think about that sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, why is your office looking like this? Or why is it laid out like this? Could it be different or whatever? So if you can be able to do that, you know, you know that's wonderful in a working environment. I also think in a working environment, there are certain things that sometimes we underestimate how you write. Mm. Um, and I love it when I'm reading something I can hear the person I can see the tone I love when people write like they are like who they are so they're not writing a, an academic paper but they it's a little line responding to Sylvester and I can yeah. have a conversation and, and so even in presentations in keynotes um, how people deliver them um, I've always found it quite strange how we all sort of do you know, the same old thing, SWOT analysis, objectives, yeah. you know, the proposition. It's always done like that, but we try to do, write a story that says once upon a time there was a brand that wanted mm-hmm. to do this. And so that's how we want to approach it. So in, in at work, it's about the nuances of how you do things. And then outside of work, like you said earlier, hobbies are key. So for me, watch movies that are that make me think, oh my goodness, I didn't think of that. <laughs> Go watch a theater piece that I just think, wow, what an amazing expression. Read a book that is exciting. So things that creatives need to be fed by creativity. So we get very excited by seeing other people do great creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, podcasts that are about creativity, um, TED Talks about it, um, you know, programs. I mean, there's so many, many different things. So for me, it's feeding myself with um, a lot of work that is um, inspiring and doing things that inspire me. It's, it's how I keep myself going. I love that. So I'm a young person. I've worked in all of these companies. I'm a marketer. I'm in advertising, whatever the career may be, but it's in the marketing and advertising sphere. And now I want to start my own business. I want mm-hmm. to open my own agency. What do I do? How do I start? Um, a lot of people say, just start, hey? And I laugh because <laughs> I just think, okay, how does that... What, what do you mean, just start? Okay. But I think what they mean is that... Um, one is, it has to be crystallized in your mind. I think it's very important that... Because I remember... Th- th- think about it this way. So I, I, I worked at um, FCB, Ogilvy... DDB, went to Nando's and worked at MTV. And uh, I was director of marketing and comms at MTV. Then I want to start DNA. Mm. Then I start DNA, okay? I bungee jump because I'm ready. But after six years of having thought about it mm. and not having done it, right? Because I was thinking, hmm, I needed a little bit more in my backpack of experiences because, mm. you know, you don't want to get into something and start learning every single thing in your own uh, time and cost and that. So sometimes the amazing le- lessons that you get in all those different corporates then make you realize, oh, okay, if I did I wouldn't do it like that. I'll do it like this and I wouldn't structure it like that because I saw it not working at Nando's or working at MTV or whatever it is. So I'd say, number one, just be able to articulate 
that what you want to create. So I think I find that sometimes it's the biggest challenge, right? Because we want to open another agency, but why? Why does South Africa need another agency? You know, and what's going to make your agency different because it's run by it's run by you? Oh, well, that's great. But um, how are you going to walk into a, a, an organization and then showcase your 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 difference? So. I'll give you an example. Then I started the agency and then I had an interview with Ashraf Garda on the media show. Um, and so Ashraf asked me, he says, are you starting a comms a branding agency? Okay, okay. Uh, what makes your agency any different, Sylvester, than, than any other? And I remember thinking, well, because we are looking at integration and black market and whatever, you know, try, you know. and it sounded nice and clever. But actually, when I got in the car, I did um, think about it a bit more to say, but what is the difference? But the difference, and I realized then, the difference was going to be attitude. The difference was the approach. The difference was going to be the solutions. The difference was going to be our ways, to, um, our, the way we go to, to, to market. And all those things that sometimes are very difficult to articulate until you kind of start doing them, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'd say number one is find a way of being able to, to, to offer that service as an agency first. So I wouldn't say just money jump and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. I'd say find a little project, offer your time in agencies. And I, I also did that. I offered, um, you know, 30% of my time I would spend supporting other people, helping other people outside. I think there is, um, um, you know, sometimes we get so drunk in, we must start the agency and it must just be the agency. But I think, I promise you, you need a desk in a corner somewhere and you need a client. And I think for me, the big thing is being able to build that network of 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 um of an individual or a, a, a company that can give you a little job and at the, when I started I said I'll do anything for you if you want posters I'll do them posters if you want me to do to you know to to kind of dish out posters at, at the traffic light I'll do it because at the time it's you are looking for um, just anything to kind of keep you going and I have to say though um, because it will be irresponsible of me not to say this the um, the industry, as we see it in South Africa right now, needs a massive amount of, of transformation and change. So we do need black-owned agencies. Mm-hmm. If you're a black creative, marketer, brand person out there who wants to start a brand agency, mm-hmm. I say, we need you. Come. Do start. You've got the ability and opportunity. Align with companies like ours. How can we assist? How can we help you? Because in the long run, the importance of having an influx of black-owned agencies starting and sustaining is something that is, I think, is the only thing that's going to change the industry. Because right now, we are fighting for relevance. We are fighting to be heard and to be respected. No matter how many accolades you get, you still have, you will still always be the little agency in four ways. You know? um, but... The truth of the matter is that we do need to transform the space and therefore we do need you to come in. And I think just look for partnerships and collaborations that can help you to do that. And that drives me to my next question, which is the importance of mentorship. Mm. You know, how important is mentorship in being an entrepreneur, in being a creative in the marketing and advertising space? Mm. What does entrepreneurship do for you? Mm. So I think... I mean, not entrepreneurship, uh, mentorship. Mentorship, yes. <laughs> mentorship is important. But my view on mentorship is actually, you know, it's weird, and I have to say, because I... I stand against blind, so... Oh, I, I suppose. <laughs> I think the concept of this old standard mentorship thing is such a, um overdone concept in my mind. I really think that if I look at it, if I look at me, for an example, um, I think, where do I get to learn stuff? But I learn stuff on podcasts, videos, mm. books, I read. So I always say I have a lot of mentors. Because if I read Peter okay. Wunder's book about, you know, uh, starting the first black agency, yeah. that is an amazing mentorship. I don't have to sit with him t- for him to tell me yeah. about it. I get it, you know. And I think there are two levels then for me. One is, where do you get your inspiration and I, there are two things that I will always advise. One, who are the men and women who inspire you? Or in fact, you can start the other way around where you go, which brands do you think do good work, do good marketing? Then we zoom into those brands. Once you zoom into those brands, who are the people behind those brands? Then you will understand who the CMO, who is the CEO, who is the whatever. And then you get to understand a little bit more of that. And then you follow and you engage with, those, uh, with, with the content from those individuals. Then you get... Hundreds and hundreds of hours of free mentorship because 
you can read their articles and you can listen to their podcasts and you can gain so much valuable time. But on the other hand, yes, if you are lucky enough, because I don't know, I mean, if you, if you think about it, is that people are busy. Entrepreneurs are busy. CEO of a big company is busy. So to, to, to have the time and to communicate and talk about my ideas all the time is not necessarily going to be very feasible, right? But I prefer that if I can have one or two people that I can call who are in the same industry to get a little bit of advice about this issue or that issue or, or, that, or that problem is something that, for me, is better mentorship than I have two hours every month with someone in a, in, in, in a boardroom to, to, to discuss my problems. Yeah. You know? Because um, I just don't think it's practical. And with all, you know, you know with, 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 with all intents and purposes, right? Um, the, the truth is that they definitely want to do it, but there's no time. So do you stop learning because you can't sit down with someone? No, you don't. But you can definitely tune in and listen in. And I think for me, um, let's stop looking for mentors in the traditional sense, but let's utilize all the mentorship we have around us. Um, you know, now you, you know, you're sitting, you want a mentor, so you're sitting and you want Sylvester Chocolate to mentor you, but you are not zooming in or, or joining the Zoom call with the, with, with, you know, um, uh, where, where, where he was speaking t- two days ago, but you want the one-on-one time. Yeah. But you could have definitely engaged there. And I find that that's the challenge nowadays is that, um, in fact, I, had, I once received a lovely um, email from a lady. In fact, it was an Instagram DM from a lady that said, can I ask you a few questions? I said, of course, ask me the questions. And the questions um, followed, and it was about eight questions, all written out questions typed up. You know, to, and mm. So the first question was, did you always like marketing? Oh, Lord. Which agencies did you work at that... So it was, then I remember I responded, I said, do I need to really start from the beginning? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like me asking Oprah Winfrey. So Oprah Winfrey, when did you start, Yeah. you know, the Oprah Winfrey show? Yeah. Because by, by the time I'm sitting with, with Oprah, damn it, I know the whole thing. I've you read all the books. The yeah. I've read all the books. In fact, I just want to know, you know, how would a young person like me do it? And so I know that most people don't, um, you know, agree with this um, you know, sort of sentiment around mentorship, but I think it works for me and I, I, I'm not going to lie about it because the truth of the matter is nowadays um, we can touch more people uh, through this podcast than we would ever be able to sit with every single person and talk about the content that we discussed today. And I think that's the, the beauty of, of where we are right now in terms of technology and sharing. Mm. Mm. I would love to spend hours and hours talking to you about marketing, but I mean, time is limited, money has to be made. I just want to finish off with two questions. Yes. One about your book, Stand Against Blind. So for people who haven't read it, I've actually been asking Sylvester questions based on different uh, chapters in his book. So if you read his book, you'll be able to tie everything together and see why we were talking about certain things. And I just want you to take us through this book quickly. Why, what inspired you to write this? Why the title Stand Against Blind? I know you say it in your book, mm. but just for those people who haven't read it. Sure. So I get in, inundated with, with um, social media messages on a daily basis. People want to know about um, where, where you started, when did you know, um, how did you manage to move from agency to client and the, and the other way around over time. So a lot of those questions kept popping up and, and it's almost like um, when I grouped the sentiments, they were very clear. If you wanted to know how did you start, how did you deal with your awkwardness and your sexuality, for an example, in the work environment and so on and so forth. So I knew that um, these needed to be answered, right? And sometimes you won't be able to sit and answer every question that everybody you know, um, asks you. So I felt that perhaps a book was going to be a really nice opportunity to be able to put a lot of those thoughts together that could maybe answer um, someone who's at the intersection of, of their careers or university who are looking at getting into the space and hopefully they can be inspired by it. So Stand Against Bland pretty much then felt like a, a, a powerful title because for me it was all the moments that I've been able to stand against Bland that led me to um, where I am today have helped me to, to find myself. So um, not conforming, not being what people expect, being who you really are, is is a gift it's an incredible gift and if if i can be able to tell everyone who is feeling like 
they need to be something else. I hope that the book is going to help to say, yeah, you are great as you are. I love that. And I and I you get that when you read the book. You get that sentiment. It actually feels like I know you more. Oh. Like, okay. And I see this on his Instagram. Okay, that makes sense. Like it, it feels so personal. So, mm. thank you for this. Mm. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. My last question is a very very important question. Mm. If you had one more day to live, mm. right? And mm. you had to you could pick four people <laughs> mm-hmm. to spend the day with. And you could pick a location and you could pick a meal. Who would you pick? Where would you be? What would you be eating? Okay. It will be myself. It will be... It's four, four, five with five with me. Four or four, with four with me. Okay, yeah. so it's me. It's um, a Tumi, my other half. It's my best friend, D. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the last spot is going to be <laughs> quite difficult. But it will definitely have to be a colleague of mine, mm-hmm. uh, Gugu. Okay. The four of us. We would be going to the International Space Station um, and we'll obviously fly out of Florida on the SpaceX um, uh, well I guess then it would because we need four seats mm-hmm. um, so it'll have to be the Dragon okay. up <laughs> to the ISS and then we will definitely um, have lentils, chicken and demi-sec um, champagne wow I love that I can picture it and even on your Instagram you're always showing Elon Musk <laughs> oh it's my favorite thing just like this is so naughty like Sylvester's <laughs> interested in space and all of those things <laughs> just like that is so cool uh, but thank you so much for being on the podcast Sylvester thank you so much I have to say that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm so so excited that I finally got to sit down with you and um, I, I adore you. I love what you do, and I think you know the uh, you can't buy it. You know you can't buy passion, um, and you know in a in a such a short period of time you've become a, an important voice um, in the in, in the market, and many many people you know listen in, and they're absolutely absolutely inspired by what you do. And I am so happy that I'm here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. Mm. And I'm glad that we could do it now. I think it's just it's more perfect. powerful. Yeah. Especially with the book and everything. I, I really appreciate your time. Mm. And yeah, I'm looking forward to some cool things in the future. Definitely, with definitely. With the X DNA brand architects. Who knows? That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Lessons with Lion podcast. I'm your host, Lebo Lion, the voice of marketing, strategist, and speaker. Let's connect on Twitter and Instagram on at LeboLion underscore SA, at L-E-B-O-L-I-O-N underscore SA. Until next time, remember, you have the right to be ambitious and you have every right to have the audacity to think that you will succeed. It's all in your hands.